a familiar place of scripture that contains the depths of the wealth, wisdom, knowledge of God that is not yet familiar to us. Matthew 5, 45 and 48, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. Truly, the perfection of the Heavenly Father contains the depths that we understand only in part, as much as God allows. According to the measure of our faith, all eternity will we be learning and be, there will be new things opened up and about God, more and more of it, and there will never be an end to it. That's why this place is so surprising. And although when you read it for the first time, it seems uh, to be very clear, but and the conclusion is often, oh, God is tolerant to the one and the other, but it is foolish when we take a place of Scripture and uh, we try to determine what that means for ourselves. God is perfect in His words. He behaves according to His word within the boundaries of His words. When He uh, speaks His words, He becomes a servant of those words, and He behaves according to that word that He speaks. And so, According to these words, he hates those people who hate his truth, who resist the truth, pervert the truth, and he loves those who uh, carry reproach because of it and keep it in its original form, its initial form. And so when you begin understanding the perfection of God and what perfection we're called to, if we were called to tolerance, we would not have the need to sanctify ourselves, to separate ourselves from people who do not want to do this. We would love everyone in general, but the scriptures say, don't say to love everyone in general, it says to love one as God loves them, to be perfect, and to hate the other as God hates them, to be perfect as he is. This commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all times, and the commandment is addressed by Christ strictly to his students. And so people who have been clothed into the mantle of a student, the mantle of a student is a mantle of a servant of the Lord, because a student in the ancient world was considered a servant in in a good way, in the most positive form. Therefore, people who do not acknowledge over themselves the authority of a person that is sent by God have never had any part to the inheritance that is contained in this commandment, and it is doubtful that they will ever be able to. As it relates to fulfilling this commanding order to be vigilant over the word of God within our heart, as God is vigilant over his spoken word within the temple of our body, we, and he is vigilant uh, over this word when it is in our heart in an undamaged way. If it's damaged, God won't be vigilant over that word. He's vigilant over the uh, original form of his truth in undamaged form. And that's in he is vigilant over in his temple, that is in the church of Jesus Christ and in, in the individual person who has put the truth of the elementary teaching of Christ in his heart. 
And so just as God is vigilant over His Word in the temple of our body, we also need to be vigilant over that same Word that is concealed in our heart so that it not be peddled with or damaged. Yes, we may fall, we may break this Word, but that doesn't mean we damaged it because the righteous may fall seven times but rise again. Why is He called righteous even if He falls? Because He never damaged that Word. He never changed it. And so, when the conscience uh, judged him, he he repented for his sins, he came back to God. The wicked, why is he wicked? Because the word of God that's in him, he has perverted it, he's changed it, he's damaged it to benefit himself, to benefit his tolerance. He doesn't want to separate from those people that the scriptures describe as lawless and wicked. He does not want to separate from those people who abandoned the churches and that uh, forsook the truth and speak evil and they say they're Christians I'm sorry all synagogues of Satan they all state that they're holy but the scriptures say that not all who call themselves a Jew are in essence a Jew they lie because if they were truly people that were holy then they would have paid the right price for it and would not have said I have my own head why did they leave because they stated they have their own mind their own head and the place where the head should be Christ they put their own head they are apostle for themselves teacher whomever and so they gather into synagogues and they all have the same opinions or similar opinions and they put the lead to be somebody who has no rights he is just as almost like the president of America pretty much has no rights he just resounds the things that are told to him the the secret uh, group that really is behind him really gives him the information the dictation and he he resounds it and so it's the same this pastor if the council just like the Congress needs to uh, legitimize anything uh, this brotherly group council needs to legitimize anything and then the pastor can uh, talk about it instead of defending the flock and teaching them and showing them new pastures he walks behind the flock instead of ahead of the flock and when you walk behind the flocks you are not the pastor the the sheep won't be able to move forward they need someone that will go ahead of them and lead them and this is a unique animal that needs a shepherd that walks ahead and not behind for pigs if you walk ahead the pigs will scatter and so you need a a a some sort of tool that would be able to force them to go in the way you want them to go and what's interesting and you go behind them and it's interesting when these uh when these uh animals unfortunately when they release their their foul odors they uh people say this is wonderful and fantastic but it's uh the shepherd he has his staff and if a sheep falls into a hole or a ditch then he will uh, help him out of that ditch and he has a sharp edge uh, uh, on the top of this uh, staff or rod that will be able to attack enemies such as bears or lions kind of like David did and 
this rod is not to hit the sheep, but for pigs, you do need something that will be able to force them to move in the direction you want behind and walk behind them. And so, as it relates to fulfilling this commanding order to be vigilant over the word of God within our heart, as God is vigilant over spoken word within the temple of our body, we stop to study the following question, what specific goals does the righteousness of God pursue that we are collaborating with within our heart? And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant, where we, in the death of the Lord Jesus, died by the law for the law. In the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we died by the law for the law, so that we can come out from the guard of the law, so that in the new tablets of the covenant, which is the resurrection of Christ, we can receive justification, because justification we receive in the resurrection of Christ. He died for our our sins and rose for our justification, and we are risen not through in his death, but in his resurrection. We, We read, he bore us in his resurrection. And so, we receive justification in the resurrection of Christ so that we can live for the one that died for us and resurrected so that in this way we can obtain confirmation of our salvation in these new tablets of the covenant which symbolize the resurrection of Christ so that we can provide God with the proper foundation to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith <clears throat> similar to how he gave it to uh, gave this promise to Abraham or his seed and so in the new tablets of the covenant can we receive justification for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law what is the heir of the world that is one that is righteous and because of his righteousness he obtains peace with God how by the righteousness of faith therefore the covenant of peace in the heart of a warrior in prayer is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God that is spoken by his delegated ones Faith of God is information that comes from His Word. Faith is from hearing. Faith is not emotions, not uh, feelings, and you don't need to try to find faith because of what you're feeling inside of yourself. Faith is literally obedience to God's words. And so information that comes from the preached Word is God's faith. Our faith is obedience to that faith, the strict obedience of that faith. And so we call God's faith as the general and our faith as the soldier, the warrior in prayer, who says, Lord, may it be fulfilled. As soon as you say it, I am ready. I've prepared my heart to listen to your words. And it is not important what the price may be for fulfilling this requirement. And that may mean losing it all. But I I have you. Therefore, by what signs do we examine ourselves that the peace of God rules within our heart, which identifies us as the sons of God and as the most holy? And so specifically, by having the peace of God within ourselves, can we determine that we are God's sons? If we don't have God's peace, then our sonhood will be, should be questioned. To, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. And so, if in the heart you have peace, then you can be a peacemaker. If you don't have peace with God in your heart, then you cannot be a peacemaker. We will be passing on bad information about one another. 
and passing it in a uh, changed form and believe it and the next will change it more and more and more and it will be spreading and like I told you <clears throat> when atheists uh, psychologists uh, decided to study rumors to find out where where they come from they came to the conclusion that rumors have that they have a spiritual character they don't have a physical character there's no way to determine it as it were physically and so it is always changing in some way and so when someone tells you something and he's not the spring that that should tell you this but someone else uh, is telling you this you need to already uh, uh, there needs to be some uh, uh, pretty much we need to be careful so when someone's telling us something that's not the person the one that did it or said the initial thing we need to be careful to believe it in, in entirety when someone else is telling you something that someone else said or did because a person sometimes will uh, add in their mind something about this information that he's saying uh, or come to a conclusion of his own or when a person assumes something that someone else is thinking you don't know what they're thinking but it's assuming uh, and so you judge for yourself or, or try to determine something for yourself and then you put this on someone else and so we have already looked at six of the signs by which we need to judge that we belong to the sons of peace and have been studying the seventh by which we need to judge that we belong to the sons of peace and this is our ability to clothe our body our essence ourselves into the holy or selective love of God but above all these things put on love which is the bond of perfection and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful Colossians 3 14 15 and so we see here that the peace of God we can determine whether we have this peace by whether we have love if we are being clothed into God's love and it is in our heart we clothe it ourselves into it how from our heart we confess what is in our heart and we clothe with our confessions ourselves into this love what is God's love is fulfilling of his law this is not emotions because a person in the physical body uh, is used to looking at love because of on emotion they look at emotion but love has never been a part of emotions love has always been the ideal and it belongs to his mind and will and with his mind and will he then leads the feelings and the feelings then uh, are ignited uh, from the mind this is lo the love but people have perverted this idea they don't understand how how the love even human love works if it is in feelings then these feelings are very are co continuously changing and so in scripture the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in the light of seven unchanging virtues or components by the preached word spoken by the Apostles and prophets that in essence are the unchanging virtues of God love is God's character that we 
that is presented to us in seven virtues, although there are many more of them. If we take one of those virtues, we'll find that it has uh, many other synonyms to that. But we see seven virtues that the heart of our Heavenly Father has, the heart of the Son of God and the heart of the Holy Spirit, the heart of a dove that is within the cleft of the rock, the heart of the good wife, the heart of the righteous one. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. This is in Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. And these virtues, these qualities united together, they open to us the door, access into the kingdom of heaven. And these qualities are our calling. Because having this character, you can then grow in yourself that fruit of the tree of life. Not having this character, we can't grow that tree of life in the Eden of our heart so that we can clothe then our body into incorruption and erect within our body the stronghold of immortality. In a specific format of the seven given characteristics of virtue that united identify the goodness of God within our heart, We have already studied five of the characteristics and have been studying the sixth. This is our calling to demonstrate the power of brotherly love in our faith. The presence of this great noble component in demonstrating our faith literally moves us from the state of eternal death into the state of eternal life. As it is written, we know, not we we feel, but we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John 3, 14, 15. And so we've passed from death to life. And that's it's not because we feel this, but we know this. To love your brothers is to behave with them according to the law of the Most High. If you love me, keep my commandments. The the disciples were trying to promise their love to him with their emotions. And he said, I will look at the work you do. Love is known not by what you're feeling, but what you're doing. And so I can say, I feel something, but do the opposite. But when we will be doing to our neighbors, Uh, what we are according to the command not looking for our own benefits when it comes to our relationships with them but their benefits and God will see that and our heart then will obtain strength it will have the light of God the tree of life will grow in, in its fullness relevant to this as with the previous components of the virtue of God and his unique for us goodness which we are called to demonstrate in our faith and in this case brotherly love we came to the necessity to study four classical questions. What do the scriptures say about the power of brotherly love, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? What purpose is the power of brotherly love called to fulfill in our relationship with God and with one another? What conditions do we need to fulfill so that we can receive the power to demonstrate this brotherly love in our faith? In a specific format, we already looked at these three questions and stopped to study question four. 
And this is by what signs can we examine ourselves as to whether we are demonstrating brotherly love in our faith. That is called to bring us out of the state of eternal death into the state of eternal life. We already studied the first four signs and stopped to study the fifth sign. And this is the mercy looking down from heaven to the truth that springs out from our earth. And so the truth that we have grown in our earth, in our the fruit of righteousness. Truth shall spring out of the earth. Truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. And so and so it's almost like in the sense of they they will kiss and so truth with righteousness will kiss. And so truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Psalm 85, 11-13 In the given place, in the prayer of David, we see presented our ability to draw God's mercy upon us by collaborating with the truth that is grown within our heart into the fruits of righteousness. The mercy of God in the temple of our body is the fourth foundation of the twelve foundations of the wall of the great Jerusalem decorated with the precious stone emerald. We have noted that the word mercy is identified in scripture in the qualities of the grace of God and in literal terms means mercy is restoration, provision. And so this is restoration, it's the restoration of the relationship that was broken in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Provision, God provides to each one what he needs so that a person can grow in the faith. Uh, We're talking about growing in faith. The next is preparation, care, dedication, faithfulness, loyalty, goodness, consideration. According to these identifications, the mercy of God was called to take part in identifying and regulating the norms of a legitimate relationship that needs to be formed first between man and God, between man and other men, and between man and all of the world. With this, the presence of the mercy of God in one of the aspects of our life in no way is automatically a guarantee that it will be present in another in another aspect of our life. Just as conquering a city in the Canaanite land does not mean that you automatically conquer the entire country. Therefore, according to Scripture, for the mercy of God to be present in each aspect of our life, it needs to correspond to the demands of truth grown into the fruits of righteousness upon which the mercy of God can come down or look down in the power of the life of God. In this way, specifically, the choice of a man and following that choice, decisions and actions will determine whether this person then becomes a vessel of wrath or a vessel of mercy, as it is written. What if God wanting to show his wrath, if God was tolerant, he would not have wanted to show his wrath. Why does he want to show his wrath? Because he is just and he wants to punish the lawlessness and he wants to show his wrath for that reason and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Why did he uh, endure with much long suffering? And 
The reason is that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Romans 9.22-23 Looking at the sovereign relations of a man with God, forming an atmosphere of truth in the heart, grown by us into the fruits of righteousness, that would be able to draw the mercy of God upon us, this is a mutual and everyday work that needs to happen between God and man. Because of this, it is necessary to remind ourselves of four classical questions by which we can examine ourselves and w- as to whether we are demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith, moving us from the state of death into the state of eternal life. These are identifying the essence of mercy in the moral character of God, the purpose that God pursues in His mercy, the price that turns God's mercy upon us, the price that we pay or the condition that we fulfill, conditions that allows God, provides Him the right basis to turn His mercy upon us, and the results that identify the mercy of God within our life. In the previous services, we already looked at the first question, first two questions, and stopped to study the third question. What price do we need to pay in order to grow within our heart from the seed of truth, the fruits of righteousness, so that the mercy of God would come look down from heaven upon our essence by which we can determine that we have the power of brotherly love within us since four of the components of the price were already subjects of our study we will immediately turn to the fifth fifth to grow the seed of truth into the fruit of righteousness within our heart so that the mercy of God would look down from heaven into our essence it is necessary not to boast about the flesh but boast about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ And by the sign, we can then judge or determine that we have brotherly love in our faith. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In what way can a person be crucified uh, by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ because he is in Jesus Christ he needs to allow God to place him into Christ if he is put into Christ then he will die upon the cross for this world and the world for him and we know that to put yourself into Christ is to put yourself into that church that has the status of a good wife that has the virtue of a narrow gate because specifically the church is the gates of heaven only through her are you able to enter into the kingdom of heaven it is the church that God has loved and gave his son for her the son of God loved his church and gave himself for her he didn't love the world he loved his church and gave himself for her washing her with pure waters by his word so that she be holy and without blemish before him in love And Apostle John, even when he writes that for God so loved the world that everyone who believes in him, then people are not reading it correctly because the translation wasn't very accurately uh, done. For God so loved the world that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If he would have loved the whole world, then the whole world would need to have been saved. How then why is only one who believes in him saved? The translation should have been more accurate in that God so loved each one who believes in this world that this one who believes in the world would not perish but have everlasting life. Because that same John 
if you look a little further down in the chapter, don't love the world or anything in the world because everything that's in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so God cannot love the world where there's the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. The world is our enemy. We can't love the world that represents the kingdom of the Prince of Darkness. We love saints that God has found in this world. He, in what way? He presents his truth, the person seeks the truth, he comes out and sees this truth and receives this truth. Each one who believes, one who believes is one who obeys. This is not just who one who believes that God is. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're Christian. The devil then also is Christian then because demons believe and tremble before God and they even believe greater than we do often. They tremble before God. They know they're continuously are uh, seeing this greatness, the, the might of God, but we don't always see it as they do. We, we don't. And so we don't feel in ourselves this might of God. We, we bear it in ourselves, in our heart, but we don't feel it. And so we don't have that trembling. But demons, they believe and tremble. When he talks, he was talking about a person that, to a person that faith without works is dead. And so without works, meaning without fulfilling God's command is, is dead, that faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, but he says, for, uh, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation, and as many as walk according to this rule. And so, we need to make our soul a new creation in our body. This is part of our uh, the, the, the role or work of my new person. It's to the new person. It is said, save your soul, save your soul. And so you receive salvation. You were born from God, but your soul is not saved. It is still mortal. The body is still corrupt. And we need to make the soul immortal and the body incorrupt. And this is our calling to make our soul immortal and our body incorrupt and that means you need to cast off the old man with his deeds renew your mind with the spirit of your mind and then after that with this renewed mind you begin the process of clothing yourself into your new person into the resurrection of christ clothe yourself confess proclaim that not existent a stronghold of life in your body as existing and so the scriptures say as many as walk according to this rule, they proclaim the not-existent stronghold of, of incorruption in their body, existent, and live with this. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Galatians 6, 14 through 16. Typically, we boast about what we trust in, therefore refusing to boast about the abilities of our mind, our gifts, or our achievements is refusing to trust in the flesh. It is specifically hope upon the flesh that trans transforms us from the vessels of mercy into vessels of wrath. Because everything we hope upon becomes our God. Therefore, to not be drawn to hope upon the flesh, the scriptures warn us to beware of dogs and evil workers. 
who learned the truth, but after, as dogs, they returned to their vomit that they previously rejected after they had learned the truth. And they then returned back to it. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3.2.3 This place of scripture helped me free the territory of the house of prayer from uh, dogs and cats because before this time when we purchased this building uh, this was a park and they would take their cats and dogs the entire area would bring their cats and dogs to this area and when we bought this building I filed a lawsuit so that they allow me to make this territory uh, uh, not allowed for cats and dogs and so those that are they told me bring proof according to scripture that your conscience <clears throat> your your this will be against your conscience somehow this <clears throat> that there not be dogs or cats on the on the property. And so I brought one of the places and one was beware of dogs. <laughs> and there were two Pentecostal uh, <clears throat> pastors that were there too who bring their dogs and cats. They almost had foam coming out of their mouths, shouting, telling the judge, this is not true, this place of scripture can't belong to this. And he said, wait, wait. He read, he says, beware of dogs, it says, and his... This is uh, then a violation. And they freed us. Uh, in the end, they did free us from this. And then the other day in Salem, they decided to forbid uh, any dogs or cats to walk upon this property. In America, when there's uh, a court case, uh, when I won this court case, now any church uh, property where their dogs and cats could come, they can't anymore. And I, I told them, you can have your dogs and cats in your own yards. Why are you going upon the, uh, coming to the church property to do these things? And so, if we have crucified our flesh in collaboration of carrying our cross with the cross of Christ, then this means that we have circumcised ourselves with a circumcision of Christ. And in this way have destroyed all hope upon the flesh and have separated ourselves from evil workers, which has given us strength to show brotherly love in our faith. Sixth, to grow the seed of truth into the fruit of righteousness within your heart so, so that the mercy of God would look down from heaven into our essence. It is necessary to sow righteousness within yourself and break up the fallow ground by the sign of which we can judge that we have brotherly love in our faith. Hosea 10.12 Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Sow yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. God will turn his mercy on you. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Hosea 10.12 Not wrath, but righteousness upon you. He will reign. To sow righteousness into yourself means <clears throat> put the identification of righteousness into your very conscience. 
by faith in Jesus Christ because the one that God has made a father of all who believe received justification by the fact that he believed in God. He believed the word of God. He, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, Romans 4.3. To believe God means to obey your faith to the faith of God, which consists of information commanding us to call that not-existent promise as existent about the inheritance of our land, which is our incorrupt body. God told uh, Abraham, I give you this land. He believed that God is giving him this land, and he began to proclaim that not-existent as existent. He lived upon it like a stranger, as a foreigner for uh, with Isaac and Jacob, then later also. And he received the circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And so to be heir of peace in your relationship with God is to be heir of the broken, the broken up fallow ground or a new body where, where that destroyed stronghold of death is replaced with the erection of the stronghold of life. The breakup of the fallow ground is first of all the breaking up of and preparing the ground for sowing which has never been uh, used for sowing in the past, which points to those areas of our essence that belong to us by right of inheritance, but is not yet within our possession or under our control. Or more accurately, those aspects of our life that the salvation of God has not yet expanded to, which is called to come in and capture all aspects of our life, as we talked about in the beginning, upon our soul and our body. Therefore, breaking up the fallow ground is the ground of those areas of our life that have not yet experienced the mercy of God, but is fully ready for it to receive into herself the seed of the mercy of God in the seed of salvation. Breaking up such fallow ground that is ready to receive the seed of mercy indicates building of your body into the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body into the temple of the Holy Spirit. First, such building of ourselves is connected to time where we receive the ability to call upon God. Because until this time, until we have built our <clears throat> body into the temple of the Holy Spirit, we don't have the right to call upon God. No rights or abilities or opportunities. Second, breaking up fallow ground, building your body into the temple of the Holy Spirit can only happen within a strong or fortified city, which symbolizes our organic membership to the Church of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we can't break up the fallow ground out of the Church of Christ. Blessed be the Lord, for He has shown me His marvelous kindness in a strong city, Psalm 31.21. According to the definition of Scripture, entering the inheritance of any promise is only possible within the body of Christ, which is the Church of Jesus Christ, in the status of a good wife, 
<clears throat> in that day, the song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Isaiah 26, 1. If we have broken up such fallow ground that's building your body into the temple of the Holy Spirit and have in this way received the right to, to the power to call upon God in a strong city representing the symbol of the chosen by God remnant, it is by this sign that we are able to judge that we have the power of brotherly love in our faith. Seventh, to grow the seed of truth into the fruit of righteousness within your heart so that the mercy of God would look down from heaven into our essence. It is necessary to be hospitable and minister to to those uh, minister with your means uh, those whom God has placed to tend his church so that by the sign of such service we can judge that we have brotherly love in our faith 2nd Timothy 1 15 through 18 Apostle Paul writes to his uh, student Timothy he was an apostle but he was apostle as the water and Paul was the apostle who was planting And so it wasn't Timothy writing to him what to do or how to do it, but the planter, uh, Paul, was writing this to Timothy. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. Among them are Figelis and Hermogenes. They were great uh, leaders in the church, and they left them and uh, drew people away. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus, for he often often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. Uh, Paul was arrested, if you know, by the Roman soldiers. And because he was arrested, people were afraid. It wasn't because they didn't want to share with him. They just, out of fear, uh, weren't doing things. But one of them, this, this person with his household, that was in the church, Honest Ferris, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. <clears throat> because it was very hard to find what uh, prison, what jail uh, he was put into. <clears throat> the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Timothy apparently knew that this person had dedicated himself to the service of Apostle Paul and materialistically he provided for him and he gave him the ability to live and, and preach. 2 Timothy 1, 15 through 18 Per the words of Christ, people that are able to refresh the messengers of God, obeying their faith to the faith of God, which are the spoken words of the messengers of God, and minister to them with their means, will receive the same reward as these messengers. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Matthew 10, 40-42. And so it's not just salvation. A person is promised even the same reward. And so apostles preach and thousands listen and those who listen they will receive the same reward because God 
has given this apostle, not because he wanted to put him over everybody else or that, that he's an exception to everyone else. He, uh, he lifted him up so that the multitude of his children would be able to know the truth. God has no other way. He finds this person, he prepares him from the day of his birth, and he places him upon the path, upon the way, so he represent him, be his lips, present his revelations. If we have such mutual bonds of love for the delegated people of God, then by this sign we are able to conclude that we have the power of brotherly love in our faith. Fourth question, by what signs do we judge that the mercy of God looks down from heaven upon the truth grown by us in our heart into the, into the fruits of righteousness by the collaboration of which we can judge that we are demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith that moves us from the state of eternal death into the state of eternal life. First sign that the mercy of God, <clears throat> these are not, tech, they don't necessarily need to go in, in the same uh, sequence, but they're all important. <clears throat> First sign that the mercy of God is over our tent is finding life, righteousness, and honor in the temple of our body by the presence of which we can judge that we are demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith. He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. Proverbs 21.21 Considering that truth or righteousness of our faith <clears throat> is the result of the obedience of our faith to the faith of God spoken by the mouth of the messengers of God, we conclude to follow righteousness and mercy is to obey your faith to the faith of God spoken by the mouth of the messengers of God. The obedience of our faith to the faith of God spoken by the delegated of God, we discover the fruit of of life, the fruit of righteousness, and the fruit of honor, consisting in the fruit of holiness within the temple of our body. However, if we do not have the instruments by the means of which we would be able to separate the righteousness of God from the crafty deception of the evil one, cloaking deception into righteousness and righteousness into deception, we will not have any ability to follow righteousness and peace and no opportunity to separate the fruit of life, the fruit of righteousness, and the fruit of honor from the deception of the evil one in our body, consisting of the fruit of holiness. Considering that righteousness is the product of truth, identifying the life of God and His glory within the soil of our heart, we will, in short, remember what is and what purpose does truth and righteousness fulfill? What is the price for abiding in truth and righteousness? How do we keep ourselves in truth and righteousness? And what results? Because truth will bear righteousness. You can't have righteousness if you don't have truth. And what results follow from knowing truth and righteousness? Righteousness as a product of truth is identified in man where God does not input or count sin to this man if there is no deceit in his spirit. Psalm 32, 1 through 2. A Psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not input iniquity and in whose, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And so the Holy Spirit shows through David in what way a person becomes righteous to know what righteousness is. It's not something abstract. Righteousness is the atmosphere, state, and program that can be within a programmable system. And the pro programmable system within our body for this righteousness is our new person, the sacred person, upon the condition that he's grown into full measure of growth in Christ. 
you can't give an infant that this program start working in him in an infant it won't work only when this infant that is stumbling uh, being attracted by various uh, winds of doctrine as we know that on the internet the expanses of the internet is looking for who says what uh, then when a person leaves these things he finds out whom God has sent and who God wants him to follow the teaching then uh, his transgressions will be forgiven and sins are covered because specifically this person can the person that he will then follow can release those sins if a person uh, completed courses and received a degree of of any kind he can't release the sins of anyone I remember how the Episcopals used to complain saying look what he's doing he's forgiving sins they did not allow themselves to do this they never ever allowed themselves to do this and when they heard how I proclaimed may the Lord forgive you may he look upon you with his great face may he release your sins and and your sins are, are, are released they're thrown into hell after this when I said these things and people were repeating these things these people would become horrified and I became horrified from the ignorance that they had. What is going to happen? How will these people receive forgiveness then? Even until today, people come secretly from these other churches to receive forgiveness of sin, to confess. And I say, why don't you come go to your own pastor? Well, they say, first, we don't even have this. But even if I do confess to him, he won't release these sins or forgive it. He will present his our sins uh, before the brotherly council and they will then uh, discuss this publicly and for the sin they will disqualify me and then they will receive me back one day per, when they receive a prophecy. There's nothing I can prove. When God says a person repents, God immediately, when a person confesses his sins, God immediately, in that very moment, he justifies him. He can do this only through having the person, having an apostle. And so they say we don't have this. Uh, They listen secretly, and that's why they come here to receive forgiveness of sin. But not all come, only some. But what about the rest? The rest... They're marching into hell, or they're going to hell. They're marching that way because their sins aren't forgiven. They're sinning and sinning, but the sins are not forgiven. They pray, they fast, and they trust. They feel, oh, it's good. I've asked many of these kinds of people, how do you know that God has forgiven you? Well, I fast much, I pray much, and finally I feel better. Well, this is against Scripture. We know in whom we've believed, do not we feel in whom we believe. We know that we have passed from death to life. We don't feel this. We know this, but they feel. And suddenly this feel feeling leaves and they panic again. And they say constantly, Lord, forgive, forgive, forgive. And they say, thank you, Lord, forgive me and thank you, forgive me and thank you. And I was... Uh, the church I grew up in, they gave, I went there and they gave me the opportunity to speak and I was talking about how when God forgives sins, He forgives immediately and when you receive uh, forgiveness, you don't have to wake up the next morning and say, Lord, forgive me again. 
and the church was crying and the unhappy pastor came up to the stage and said brother and sisters well this is not just what do we not tell you the same things as brother Akadi we say tell you the same thing why are you not crying when we tell you but here now you're crying here but brothers and sisters even if you do wake up the next morning and say Lord forgive me it will be okay you won't sin if you can imagine uh, they, he says we preach the same thing you're not preaching the same thing you're preaching the opposite you keep this church in the state of sin uh, a person whose sins are never forgiven whose lawlessness is never forgiven or released Psalm 66 18 through 20 if I regard iniquity in my heart David says he sinned uh, if you remember with Bathsheba he took the wife of his friend one of his um, main uh, his primary soldiers 30 soldiers uh, uh, and she had uh, told him that she got pregnant and he uh, uh, committing all of these sins he didn't have them in his heart and he says if I regard iniquity in my heart the Lord would not have heard me he would not hear me but certainly God had heard me he had attended to the voice of my prayer blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me Psalm 66 18 through 20 when prophet Nathan came and told him the uh, parable you know one person in your kingdom he had a lot of sheep he has a lot of flocks and next to him was a poor person who had just one lamb and as she is he has one lamb he only keeps her in his house not somewhere else they eat together they they drink and they sleep in one place together and a visit uh, then he came and visited the one that had many flocks and so instead of slaughtering one of his own he took the one lamb that this person had and killed it David was so angry where is that person death to him and Nathan says it's you and suddenly the Holy Spirit showed him what he did he immediately lowered his face and said I do need to die And Nathan said, you won't die because God has taken the sin away from you. If you can imagine for yourself, these people still can't uh, take the sin uh, away from David. People who attract the wicked one who who left the church, who... uh, he was saying, oh, well, you're always preaching about this uh, sinner you're, and this Abraham, whom is an idol worshiper, is what they said. They don't forgive Abraham that he came out of idol worshiping that his family was in. They still consider Abraham an idol worshiper, David as a fornicator and all kinds of things. And so this is how they want to look at it. That's how they look at these people. But I repeat that if David would not have uh, abided in and would not have brought in brought his prayer to, in truth and righteousness, the sin did not come from his heart, it came from outside. And so if David would not have abided in and would not have brought his prayer in truth and righteousness, he would not have had any right or any grounds upon which God would hear him in his resistance against these enemies, the personified flesh, personified sin, personified death. 
so that in our per battle with our personal flesh, which is supported by pers- personified sin and personified death, we could be heard by God. It is necessary for us to abide in the truth and in righteousness. Although we can abide in truth and righteousness, we can still sin, and when we sin, we remain righteous. We fall, we can rise again. The wicked, when he falls, he doesn't rise again. Why? Because the sin came from his heart. He has perverted the truth in his heart. He did not acknowledge the forgiveness of God uh, that God gave David. He did not acknowledge in Abraham, the father of all who believe, calling him an idol worshiper instead. He does not acknowledge that these righteous people, even though they sinned, they remained righteous. Why? Because their heart didn't have this. We try to do the things that are in our heart and it doesn't work out. We again and again fall into the same sins and we are disappointed saying, Lord, that's it. I've done this more than once. I can't be forgiven anymore. But if a person after uh, committing a sin, he feels bad for what he's done and he is suffering, that means he is righteous. The sin that he's committed, it didn't come from his heart. It came from out of him. And so, rise, rise, and rise again. Go to God. You are righteous in His eyes. And He loves you. And He will not condemn you for that sin because He takes away that fault, that sin, because the sin didn't come from the heart. But when you acknowledge the sin, God says through Nathan, and God has removed this sin from you. He's taken it from you. It is necessary for us to study what was it that allowed him to be so confident and so bold? How was he so, uh, how was he able to have this virtue, dignity in him and this boldness? Uh, what do we also need to do from our side to have such stability and such uh, a fight in ourselves as well as David did to answer these questions so that we can subjugate the old nature within our body, the personified sin and personified death? We will look at that uh, the first question to be able to an- receive some of these answers. First, what or who is truth and righteousness in essence as well as identification? And what purpose does truth and righteousness fulfill? That abides in our heart. Because truth, it bears righteousness. It produces righteousness. And I repeat, to immediate, I repeat that to immediately identify these two terms, the words truth and righteousness, and not look at them at the, as the same thing, but as uh, two similar things, but they're not the same things. Righteousness comes from the truth, since truth uh, produces itself in righteousness as a father produces himself in his son, or as the seed produces itself in the fruit. We conclude that truth identifies the state of our heart when we receive the truth about salvation, and when we grow, we grow then the fruit of salvation. And we can receive this truth only when the soil of our soil is cleansed from dead works. Only then can the truth be planted there, the elementary teaching of Christ. Why do people not have truth in the heart? Because it wasn't preached to them how to cleanse their conscience from dead works. It's the opposite that 
telling them that these dead works are not dead works, but actually good works, and that you need to continue doing them. Any good work that comes from the flesh is evil. At the same time, righteousness demonstrates itself in justice. This is the seed of truth that is grown into the fruits of righteousness. According to this place of scripture that's following the the truth that is an action or the result that of what uh, truth produces, we see in the books of David that he reigned over all Israel and David administered judgment and justice to all people, 2 Samuel 8.15. For David to be able to perform this just justice and judgment over all his nation, he needed to have in himself a specific uh, form of resistance, uh, the truth in him, and this was obtained <clears throat> not genetically, which he was able to inherit from his fathers, but gen- uh, the genetic inheritance that he inherited from the line of Abraham, whom God made the father <clears throat> of all those who believe that are in circumcision and out of circumcision as well, because specifically the work of justice can come only from the heart of a person and from the heart of a person where the truth has become the atmosphere of righteousness so the kind of heart you have is what you will be doing or producing for from within out of the heart of a man proceeds evil thoughts adulteries fornications murders thefts covetousness wickedness deceit lewdness an evil eye blasphemy pride foolishness all these evil things come from within and defile a man <clears throat> mark 7 21 through 23 matthew 12 34 brood of vipers how can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and so jesus more than once uh Uh, use these words uh, against the elite of the time that stated that they uh, and so these words that he he would address to them he told them they were broods of vipers and they were not able to understand the words of Jesus they resisted the words of Christ and were not able to receive the words of Christ And even when they received them, they received it as an offense against them. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. That's religious things. Evangelism, good work, uh, spend money to, to practice spiritual gifts. All of these are works of the flesh. They may not be even works of the flesh, but if they are coming from the flesh, when a person hasn't cleansed his heart from dead works. And these are dead works. They didn't cleanse their conscience from dead works. They never were told how to. And so their sins are not forgiven. They don't have a person. They don't acknowledge today that in the church there could be an apostle. They, the apostleship is just called as an episcopal. An episcopal is a helper of a pastor, spiritually a helper. A deacon is a helper uh, uh, to the pastor in, in materialistic things. And so today, these helpers of pastors have become uh, as apostles, but they call them episcopals 
or as the leading Episcopal, and you know how they call them, one who sees, or a seer. And so one who's seeing is, or like one who is uh, looking out, kind of like they use uh, uh, they use the same kinds of version, uh, phrasing or words toward thieves that are looking out or uh, like a lookout for someone. And so he says, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires... Because they were deaf to hear what he was saying, and they were deaf because your father's the devil, he says, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. John 8, 38-44. And so if a person is not born from the truth, he is not able to perform righteousness. And so all of his so-called good works will not be done in God and not for God. Everything that is not done in God or for God is, according to Scripture, evil and as a counterfeit of truth. And as we talk about being born from truth, truth is the personified first in God and is one of the title names of God. But the Lord is the true God, He is the living God and the everlasting King, at his wrath, the earth will tremble, and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Jeremiah 10.10. 10. Further, Jesus says, <clears throat> I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14.16. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. 1 John 5.6. And so the truth is not just the title name of God, <clears throat> but the natural state of God. And so people who are born from God will possess in their spirit a similar state because they are born from God. And so when we, by the means of being born from God, will possess within our spirit the state of truth, this state will be needed to uh, be expanded to our, our soul and body. And so evidence that we are within uh, truth and righteousness not having this evidence that we're in truth and righteousness God will not be able to hear our prayers God will not be able to help us overcome our old nature and the supporting our nature personified sin and death the scriptures call the truth also everything that comes from God his revelations his judgments his commandments revelations your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful, Psalm 119, 138. To confirm that the law of Moses is the truth, it is necessary to make some, or bring forth some clarification. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, John 1, 17. It's strange, right, if you think about it. Based upon many places of Scripture, uh, the law 
uh, definitely brought forth wrath and did have did have an absence of grace and truth. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can neither with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Hebrews 10.1 And so although the law did not have grace and truth, it was present in its shadows and examples, its images. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Colossians 2, 16, 17. Although the law promoted wrath, it in its offerings and feasts, it pointed to Christ and his relationship with the church. And so what was covered in the shadows and the law would become our own. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that he can deliver us from the oath of the law. And so that the inheritance that is contained in these shadows and laws would become ours. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Galatians 3.13.14 We will remember that we can receive this one, we cleanse our conscience from dead works. There's not a person that can forgive sins or have power to forgive sins. If if you don't have such a person, your conscience will not be clean and your sins won't be forgiven. You will continue to uh, look at our relatives and send them, uh, bury them, our relatives, our close ones, and think they're going to heaven when, when they're not. Uh, we received the and the reason is you receive the truth into your heart that's damaged. You don't receive it in the order of the kingdom of heaven. In every church, there needs to be a person, one person, who represents the authority of Christ, who has the right to forgive sins. And so when you have such a church and when you your sins are forgiven, then you can forgive sins. But if there's damaged truth, then this truth will not work. This forgiveness will not work. If this a person is elected by a majority vote, it won't work. If a person has placed himself, it still won't work. You need for this person to be uh, placed by an apostle, or if there isn't anyone, any, any apostle, if the church is in such a situation where really there is nobody uh, to delegate, then God can use the casting of a lot but I repeat this is quite rare and so the price of our redemption from the curse of the law is that Christ has become a sin for us and in this way he had destroyed the handwriting of requirements that was against us therefore by the deed of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the acknowledged is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith Jesus Christ to all and all who believe, for there is no difference. And so if we have this truth in our heart, and we have a person, and we have the undamaged word, then this means <clears throat> that we possess within our arsenal brotherly love we can demonstrate such brotherly love to one another right now we are going to pray if someone has the ability and has within his heart the feeling of shame 
the feeling of regret for something they've said or done. They want to be free from the lusts, the passions that are in his body. You need to confess your sins, but before you confess your sins, you need to uh, reject these sins. Often the sin is that we continue in this sin. We acknowledge that we are in this sin, but we are in it because we're looking at something and listening to something and speaking with someone we shouldn't be. And so when you repent, you need to break your relationship with those that you need to not have a relationship with. Stop looking at what is perverting you and listening to what is perverting you. Uh, He says, uh, the Lord said, come and we will judge. Amen. Let us bend our knees and we will pray. We wait for you here at the altar. The Holy Spirit is ready right now to break the shackles of sin, the chains of lusts, passions, so He can give you freedom, so He can make you slaves of righteousness. He can prepare you for the incorrupt body that will become the argument of our rapture. And may the Lord bless us in this work, in this prayer, where you can, where you have a blessed by God person who is placed to teach about the kingdom of heaven and to forgive your sins. I will be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe, trust yourself, trust God that He loves you, that He has pity on you. He hates the sin that's in you just as you hate it. And He can free you because of your confessions, the confession that you proclaim that's in your heart. Close your eyes, lift your hands to God, a sign that your hands are without wrath or doubt, that you have forgiven all those who offended you, and that God is ready because you forgave those who offended you to forgive you also. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I again and again come to you with my sin that I hate and that keeps me in these chains. I ask you, break these chains of sin. Lead me out to freedom so that I can breathe your atmosphere. I want to be a slave of righteousness. Show me mercy. Heal my wounds. Wash me with the blood of your Son. All your sin, all my sins that 
I have confessed before your face. I accept, according to your words, my forgiveness, my justification, my healing, my restoration, and right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim and I want to confess with my mouth that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May He look upon you, may He bless you, and look upon you with His great face, and show you mercy, and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May upon you the blessings of the ancient mountains and everlasting hills be on you, and may the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob be on you through Jesus Christ. May this be upon you and your children and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. Blessed is God in Jesus Christ who has given to us His grace to rise after falling. All of us, including myself, fall much. But God still allows you to be on this place. That means that you rose again. And right now God rose you again. And although you may feel something, you need to know that God justified you. You are righteous before His face. He has nothing against you. And it's not enough just that, but He has blotted out your sins. The memory of it has been blotted out. And when these things will come back into your memory, remember that the devil is doing this and he's presenting them to you and God at the same time because your heart is connected with God's. God can't tell for you the, t- tell the devil for you that the sin is forgiven or it's not there. You are the one that's supposed to say it. As soon as this comes in your heart, the word is there. God has done his work, his role. It is now up to you. And let this thought prompt you to thank God that you are delivered and free. Thank you that you've blotted out my sins and they're not there. And every time this memory comes, thank God. The devil is not as stupid as he may you may think. He is very tricky and he sees that he reminds you of this and you keep thanking God. And he will stop because if he sees you continually thank God every time he reminds you, he'll stop. And so thank God for what he's done for you. And when you thank him continuously, then these thoughts will stop coming. They won't come. Let us finish our service with our great manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, 
dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen.